Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Prodigy is a production of iHeartRadio. When I was growing up, we lived in a nice house in a really nice neighborhood. Some people would see where we lived and say that we were rich, but I knew that compared to most other families in the neighborhood, we weren't. I remember being annoyed with my parents for not buying me more things that I wanted, but my mom was frugal, probably because she never had much money as a kid. When I got older, I saw a rich friend's family who was down on their luck get a car repossessed, and it made me so grateful that my parents chose to live that way. And they tried to instill those values in me. But of course, everything I know, I had to learn the hard way. A few years after college, I was making pretty good money. I got a couple credit cards and maxed them out. The payments got to be so high, I couldn't pay them. And instead of dealing with it, I chose to ignore it. Hopefully, you've never experienced this. But the anxiety you get from constant threatening letters and phone calls to settle a debt is crushing. Even today, I hate hearing my phone ring and get anxious when checking the mail. Rock bottom for me was two events. First, my power got shut off. I sat there in the dark just contemplating how worthless I was. I vowed to never let that happen again, so I began looking for ways I could save money. The second was getting served by the credit card company. They were suing me to settle my debt. At this point, I had some money saved, so I contacted a lawyer and settled it. When it was over, I felt a massive relief, and I was determined to never experience that level of constant internal pain again. Even though I had finally settled that debt, my credit was still shot. I mean, 20-something missed payments will do that. I did want to eventually buy a house and not be embarrassed when my credit report was run, so I started doing some more research. No legit bank would give me a line of credit with my history, but I learned you could open something called a secured credit card in order to build your credit. With a secured card, you put the initial money up front. For me, it was $500. Then you use it like a regular credit card, and if you don't pay, the bank has your deposit to cover the debt, so there's no risk for them. Once you use it properly for a certain amount of time, the bank returns your deposit and gives you a line of credit. For me, it was a year. After the first year, I got my deposit back, and they gave me a real line of credit. After my second year, they increased my limit. My score went up, but it was still pretty bad. I did some more research and learned that getting added as an authorized user to a card with a good history and a large limit would help even more. Luckily, my parents agreed to add me as long as I never had access to the card. And with my history, I don't blame them, but I am very grateful that they did add me. My score went up like 100 points overnight. When I was conscious about living frugally, I was able to save money. I built an emergency fund and was able to buy a car when my old one died. 
I didn't like renting because I hated having a landlord. It just gave me like a level of uncertainty. So I wanted to buy a house. When I first moved to Atlanta, I rented a house. It was a 3-2 and cost $1,200 a month. Five years later when I moved out, I remember thinking that if I had a roommate covering half the rent during that time, I would have saved $36,000 in rent alone. So while I don't love the idea of having a roommate, when I finally bought a house, I got one. And it turned out fine. I barely even see the guy and it provides some extra breathing room. Now, while I'm not rich, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck either, and the future is bright instead of cloudy. So living frugally helped me get out of debt and achieve some financial goals. But like many people in my generation, retirement feels kind of like a fantasy. So while I'm still careful not to get into debt, my relationship to money has shifted. Now, instead of thinking about new ways to save money, I'm focused on how to make more. My name is Lowell Berlanti, and this is Prodigy. This episode is about finances. When planning for this, I realized we have a really popular show called How to Money, and the hosts actually live really close to me. It quickly became one of my favorite podcasts. Not only is there a ton of valuable information in there on all sorts of financial topics, the hosts are really funny. They also have a website with a bunch of info and resources you can find at howtomoney.com. Their names are Joel and Matt. I was living on my own, like renting and, you know, making decent money. And my power got shut off one day and I was just like, I don't want that to ever happen again. (laughs) So I started like, you know, trying to live, I guess, more frugally following, you know, different advice and tips. And I was really interested in like the fire method that worked. You know, I saved up money, eventually bought a house. And then afterwards I was like, you know, uh, I want to focus on earning more and focus less on spending less. Yeah, I was curious what your guys' uh, thoughts and opinions are on that. Honestly, like, I mean, that's the lowest hanging fruit. Like, yeah. That's how you can most immediately uh, make a difference in your money, right? If you start spending less, like literally today, you can not buy something that you're thinking about <laughs> buying. And guess what? You're going to have nets, you're, you know, more of that money. <laughs> or, or you can like slash a bill, like cut it out of your life yes. like, today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that, I mean, that's the biggest difference, right? Between spending money and earning money is that earning money, I mean, it takes a little bit of time. Whereas spending money, I mean, it's so gratifying because literally right now, you can immediately see a difference in the amount of money that you have in your bank account. But the thing is, cutting back on your spending, that can only get you so far. <laughs> uh, you, you can't go below a certain threshold because you're still going to have to pay your rent. Uh, and then just beyond that too, I mean, there's lifestyle desires that you might have, right? You, you don't want to continue to just eat ramen or rice and beans. Balancing out with you might die tomorrow versus you might live to 100. You know, So it's kind of a tough trade-off. It, it is. I mean, I think... One of the things is like frugality is wonderful, but it also can't fix a lack of income problem. And so I think you really do have to, if you're trying to get dial in your personal finances, get both in order. Uh, And I think frugality, like Matt said, is probably the first stop. Uh, But then you also have to work towards increasing your income. And I think sometimes the people that are hyper frugal, they it's almost like this unwillingness to, it's like they're avoiding maybe more difficult, sometimes vulnerable process of trying to increase what you bring in. It's it's not easy. That takes time, like Matt said. And so um, I think sometimes those hyper frugal people are avoiding some of those other things. And I think you need to find that balance of in between. Um, and I agree, like, yeah, the, the YOLO mentality is, is something that a lot of people struggle with. I, I will say, I think in some ways, the great thing, we talked about this on a recent show, 
is there's like a good YOLO mindset and there's a bad one. There's like a YOLO, like I'm going to spend all my money uh, today because I'm not promised tomorrow. And that's a bad way of living because you're likely going to live <laughs> a yeah, little right. bit longer than, than just today. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then there's the other thing of like money's not everything. And and it's not like, you know, we talk try to talk about money in a balanced way. And it's not about as massing as much as you can or saving as much as you can for retirement and putting off all of the good things that you want to enjoy today. That's why Matt and I drink a craft beer on every episode. It's like, <laughs> we love craft beer. We're going to prioritize it. We're going to prioritize even maybe a $20 bottle of craft beer sometimes because it matters to us. And we're, we're not going to put that, you know, some people might be like, you could put that in your IRA. Sure we could, but we love craft beer. And so we're going to prioritize. So there is that balance that you have to continually strike when it comes to money. Um, and you don't want to go too far in one direction or the other. Yeah. That's, that's what Joel says every time he's thinking about buying a nice bottle of beer. He's like, YOLO! Scream it out. And then he just drops his wallet. Yeah. But I mean, you know, on the topic though, of earning, like one of the other benefits of pushing yourself to earn a little bit more, right, is just personal development, personal growth. Like you can see yourself learning new skills, like entering situations that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise stepped into uh, if you're only focused on the other side of the equation. Yeah, simple. Just make more money. But um, I was thinking like, you know, this is different for everyone, but for me, or like, I think maybe apply to a lot of people is just to, if you're trying to make more money is make it well known uh, in the organization that you want to be advanced. Well, I think you got to work for that too, right? It's one thing to ask for a raise and it's another thing to be able to document all the things you've done over that past year that have exceeded the expectations of your supervisors, right? And so I think that's that's one of those things where Yeah, when you're pitching are, it, you're supposed to have all the uh, evidence there, right? To show them, make it very easy decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if your boss is like, I don't think we can do that this year, you can say, well, what's it going to take for in six months for me to get that raise? And have them outline it for you. And then crush all those goals. You know, like it's it's one of those things where the, the company line can be, and it can be discouraging. Like, you know what? The, the raises are capped at 2% this year. There's nothing I can do. Um, but that's not necessarily true, right? Right. Uh, and sometimes you can get a promotion because you've yeah. done enough. You take on more responsibility. Uh, maybe in the current role you're in, it's a 2% cap, but maybe you can expand your responsibilities. And another thing I think a lot of people need to know to make more, oftentimes the way people make the most money Switching the jobs. The way people make more. Yes, switching jobs. <laughs> I know. Mo moving to a new employer, especially right now. Yep. It's a great time to to look elsewhere. Um, and if you're, you know, your current employer is saying, we can't pay anymore, you know, it, it's worth at least perusing the job boards and seeing, seeing what you can find elsewhere and, yeah. you know, utilizing your network. Do you think it's important to, like, you have to stay somewhere two years before you start looking again or a year? I mean, does that matter? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I th honestly, I think it comes down to what you're able to accomplish during that time, right? Because if you're going to constantly just hop from one to the next to the next uh, without having done much, <laughs> and you're you, you know you're spending all this time there, that's one thing. But if you are able to say that, like, well, you know, we I was able to actually accomplish this, or I was brought in for this specific project, I think that can you know that's certainly a good reason. Yeah, I think if it's your fourth year, four jobs that might start to feel like a problem, like an epidemic of, of leaving a job after not much time. But I think if it's, you know, if it's in incredibly occasional to stay somewhere a short amount of time, um, it, it can work to your benefit. Yeah. And um, you guys recommend having like a professional look at your resume? Like, I mean, I think that can, can be helpful. Uh, I think there are a lot of things you can do yourself. But again, it's one of those things too, where having 
an impeccable resume. Like if you building a resume is something that most of us don't, you know, I guess in today's economy, we're doing it more frequently than we used to do. But like, I haven't messed with my resume in forever (laughs) as someone who literally worked at the same job for 15 years and now is an entrepreneur. Um, And so I personally would have someone look it over. I would consider paying someone, but uh, because, you know, that is, you know, getting your foot in the door and that's the first thing people see about you. But I think there's also a lot of you know free help online too that you could get and, and try it try it yourself first. A lot of free help. And I mean I think a lot of us have a friend who we know that <laughs> kind of does manager. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who either has some experience there, uh who works in that industry, who, you know, is uh yeah, HR. But I mean honestly, I would even I would feel comfortable spending a little bit of money on like Fiverr, right? And so say I, I kind of look through my network and there's not someone there that really jumps out. I wouldn't be opposed to just taking a resume that needed some updating uh, or just one that I had updated and then running it by somebody that does this for a living. Like this is all they do is they basically try to make resumes look as good as possible. They cut all the fluff uh, and then you're left with something that's going to really stand out when it does come time to apply for a new job. Yeah. You know know what I like better than Fiverr is slave labor, the subreddit. Um, But yeah, there'll be like hiring managers that I'll occasionally post on there, but that's a good resource. Slave Labor is a Reddit forum where people offer certain services for a low price. I hired the guy who coded the memory span test for the website off there. But uh, one thing I wanted to say about Frugal before we switch topics is I think it's related to the amount of time it takes. It seems like some of these Frugal people, you know, it's like a game to them and it's fun um, because, you know, after a certain point, it's like you're investing all this time into like the coupons. Are, is it worth your time? You know, um, mm-hmm. and then. But then, you know, certain things like your cell phone plan, like you could shop around a little bit and maybe, you know, I got mine down from like $80 a month to like $35 a month by using yeah. um, Mint Mobile, which, you know, there's a couple of other ones like <laughs> yes. that. So back when I was cutting expenses, I saw some recommendations for Mint Mobile. While I was happy with my carrier service, the bill was like $80 a month just for me. Mint Mobile offered a free trial, so I tested it out and it worked. Now I only pay $25 a month for 10 gigs of data, which is more than I need. It's prepaid, and the more months you pay in advance, the cheaper it is. For 10 gigs of data, 3 months is $35 a month, 6 months is $25 a month, and a year in advance is $20 a month. You don't have to change your number, and it uses T-Mobile's network. In my experience, the coverage isn't quite as good as Verizon, but it does everything I need. I can personally recommend their service from experience, but I figured there are other companies that offer a similar service. After some brief research, it seems that Mint Mobile is a bit unique compared to other prepaid plans because they offer discounts if you pay multiple months in advance. Most typical phone plans you get from going to Verizon or AT&T are what's known as postpaid plans because you're billed at the end of each month. I wasn't surprised to find out they're sponsors of Matt and Joel's show, and since I personally use them, I figured I'd plug it here. If you want to find out more, visit mintmobile.com money. Matt and I do a recurring segment on the show called Frugal or Cheap. And there's a difference between making a frugal move or doing something that's cheap and wasting so much time trying to save a few bucks. It's like driving across town to save, you know, eight cents a gallon on gas. Um, it's your time that would be cheap. Hopefully your time is worth more than that. Don't do it, you know? Yeah. And But yeah, cutting that recurring phone bill is, we would say, an example of being frugal or shopping your your insurance carrier because you might be able to save hundreds of dollars a year uh, doing that every couple of years. Those kind of things we would say are, are frugal. But yes, there is a tendency in the personal finance community to be cheap and to, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't clip coupons. Like, I, I don't, I know some people are like, man, I cut my grocery bill in half by clipping coupons. 
I'm not going to do it. I'm probably just going to take the easy route and go to Aldi. I know the groceries are cheaper there. So, I mean, to each their own, everyone's got their own method. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes, like I said earlier, sometimes that hardcore frugality is uh, leans in the cheap direction in my book. And sometimes it's because people don't want to do the hard work of trying to increase their increase their income. Yeah. And obviously, it comes down to individuals and their their situations too, right? Because there might be somebody and it, and it is worth their time right. to clip all the coupons or drive across town and get the cheaper gas because maybe they're in a position where they're, they're unable to make more money. I don't know. Maybe they're in a union or something like that. <laughs> and like they're not going to get a raise for another two years or something like that. And they can't take additional time. And so for those folks, it's like, all right, well, any additional time I have to save money is money, money in my pocket. And so, you know, that's another consideration. Although I guess in that situation, we might say, well, like maybe there is something you could think of that's even bigger, like think of a larger money making uh, uh, opportunity that, that, that you could pursue uh, kind of on the side. I, I think, I think too, like the, the younger I was, the more, like my frugal versus cheap scale was different. So that's there were a it. lot of things I would have done then that right now I would consider cheap. But frugal adds up. I mean, you know, it really does. You know, I, I'm sort of wasting so much money that if I didn't do that for over a long period of time, I mean, that would be a lot. And then, you know, vested properly, that would be even more and it could snowball. Right, right. And so, um, yeah, when I was younger, I would do so many you know, borderline cheap things. And looking back, like that did help me establish myself in my finances and begin to invest more and more of my money. And um, if it wasn't for some <laughs> of those hyper hyper frugal moves, like, you know, some of those things wouldn't have been able to happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. All I got to say too, is like, as you change, as things, as your life changes, that scale might change a little bit for you with three kids now um, and a family, like, it's just highly unlikely that I'm going <laughs> to do some of the things Did that I would have done. you go for the um, cheapest condoms you could find? And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that must, that's how it worked out, man. <laughs> so I learned that one the hard way. I'll, I'll probably figure it out once I have eight kids. <laughs> <laughs> I also I like how you said, too, that you, you established, like, you know, by being cheap, you kind of established yourself. Uh, I just like how I just picture you just being like, all right, I'm finally a cheap bastard. Like, <laughs> it's like a, like a title that you're able to put in front of your name. Mm -hmm. basically where you're like, all right, that's how it happened. I have arrived. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break to crunch the numbers. Be right back. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Welcome back to Prodigy. I did want to talk about, you mentioned that you had been budgeting for years and years and years, and I was curious, like, if you guys used certain apps. Um, I'm familiar with, like, you need a budget, but I haven't really checked into the space in a while. Is there certain different apps you think would be useful for people to know about? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I was mentioning, yeah, how I have budgets going back to 07. And honestly, 
I mean, I use Excel. And so back then I started with just a basic budget template that came with Excel. And from there, every year at the end of the year, I would look back at what I used, what I didn't use. And I started quickly modifying, uh, adding categories, changing things up, realizing that like, oh, how come there, I don't have any way of tracking this expense or, 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 you know, like, okay, money that I've got in the bank that I'm saving towards specific goals. Like I need categories for those. I need to, you know, and today we have, we see that in checking accounts, right? How you've got buckets or, or savings buckets. Uh, but those are things I added over time. And so I personally have never used any other specific budgeting app, but YNAB, like you said, you need to budget is fantastic. We yeah. highly recommend it. And, and that's I, partly because of what YNAB does behaviorally to help you with oh, your yeah. money, right? It, I've used Mint for a long time, but Mint's basically like this static resource where you can see what you've spent. You can kind of see in one place like your net worth. And I, I like Mint for the way I use it, but I think a lot of people are better served with YNAB, even though Mint's free and YNAB costs money. And we think that YNAB, you'd actually probably, it's a frugal move <laughs> to sign up for YNAB because in some ways it's going to help teach you and it's going to help you with some of those behavioral things that have led you to not being able to handle a budget well. They're, they're trying to basically get you to... Um, increase the time since you got paid to when you use those dollars to make those dollars essentially get older in your account. You're going to be able to save more. They're going to help you um, in, in some different important behavioral ways to uh, get that budget in line and then to stick to that budget. Everything in my nature tells me to automate and simplify, but I really do see the value in having a better understanding of where your money is going, especially when applied to a longer time frame, like a year. But it can be tough to juggle that with the fact that you might die tomorrow. Life is obviously precious and not to be wasted, but so is peace of mind. First off, I'm amazed that you're entering everything manually in Excel. Like I'm like, God, is there like some Python scripts you can write or something? <laughs> well, so there actually are. I mean, there's there's different programs. I know there, there's some that integrate with Google Docs that allow you to, uh, you know, where it automatically imports. But here's let me tell you why I like to manually enter, and I I literally do that. I manually enter in uh, all of the different transactions, and it's it's a way for me to review my expenses. And so by manually entering it in, I feel it. Like I don't just feel it in the moments where I'm, when I'm making that purchase. Because uh, there's folks that say, like you feel cash more. Like, you, like when you're parting with your actual, you know, actual bills, you feel that a little bit differently than when you swipe a card. Uh, and so for me, a way that I feel it a little bit more is just by quickly entering it in. And I've got a, you know, I've got a system down and we don't, I mean, we've got a big family, but kids and stuff, but we're not, I don't I guess we're just not spending a ton. Uh, it doesn't take that much time for me, but I think it's time well spent. I think some folks would say, oh, dude's just being cheap. Like he needs to outsource <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, there's somebody, there's programs out there that can do that. You can link your accounts. But for me, it's something that I find uh, that brings me a lot of value because not only am I able to keep up with what I'm spending, it helps me to kind of direct my my future dollars by also just being realistic with uh, the budget that I'm setting for myself. To me, to me, that's similar to looking at an actual bill that even if you auto pay that bill, looking at it every single month so you can see like in, in particular with like your utilities yeah what's your usage been right like have <laughs> and and i think like i think that's it's getting I, paid automatically uh. <laughs> i hope so for yeah. your sake Lil. Uh, <laughs> but like you, you know looking at the bill every single month is so important and i hate the budget billing feature i know some people really like that they're like 
Now I know it's going to be the same amount every single month. They'll reset it next year and it'll be a new amount, but it'll be the same every single month. But I actually like the pain associated with a bill having gone up, especially in the summer months. And being yeah, like, you see, you see power shoot up. Yes. And for us, like with a garden, we see water shoot up. Yeah. We'll water our yard more. And it's just like, oh, okay, let's let's be a little How more can, judicious yes. with our water usage. It's going <laughs> to make you change your behavior. And I think sometimes, you know, just putting on autopilot auto pay uh, and not looking at those bills. It's a very similar thing to how Matt's manually entering in that information into his budget. He feels it. It, it, it has an impact on how he behaves with his money. It's not just to make it the most miserable process no. <laughs> possible. Dude, you know, it, it, it's almost like yeah. a diary. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's like getting to the end of the day and just like writing out thoughts and just kind of doing like a brain dump. You know, like it helps you to process things, help you to realize that like okay, what it like what's on my mind. I mean, I don't I don't journal like I used to. I used to journal a good bit back in the day. Matt I don't... actually keeps his journal in New King James English. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have a lock on it? The locks in the shape of a heart. Uh, that always <laughs> hath offended me. Uh, but it's just a way to just de- kind of like decompress and see where we spent our dollars. Make sure that we're spending in ways that align with our values because that's what we're all about, right? We're all, we're not about pure deprivation. We're we're about making sure that we're spending our money in the areas of life that bring us uh, the most joy. And that again, the craft beer is a small yeah. example. Oh my god, of, I spent more on me, beer Joel. than I did on food this month. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, that's a good point. And I was thinking also that's related to you know when you're budgeting, you know, you don't always know about unforeseen um, sort of expenses that come up, you know, like medical or health. So what do you guys recommend for like a good rule of thumb for how much money to have in an emergency fund? So a couple things. One, I think people chalk up too many unforeseen expenses into an emergency fund sort of expense. I think people need to plan for some of those quote unquote unforeseen expenses. Like let's say it's tires on a car uh, or repairs on your home. Well, Those are the like, kind of things. You know, getting your leg broken by a random bandit <laughs> that, on the street. That's an emergency. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an emergency. I just wanted to say that up front, though, that sure, sometimes sure. Yeah. like we, we, we should be planning more for some of those things that we consider to be unforeseen. Yeah, like car stuff. That that stuff's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. But true emergencies are, are a real thing, and people should definitely be planning for that. We're a big fan of emergency funds. Um, in particular, there is a minimum starting point that we think is really important for everyone to achieve, and that is uh, achieving $2,467 worth of savings. That is a very specific number, but it is a number that economists have found will get the majority of people through most emergencies. And I think that's true. I think that's that that resonates to me with, you know, the biggest <laughs> emergencies I've had. Usually they can be met with that kind of amount of money, whether it's, you know, um, whether it is like a car repair, right? Or whether it's a broken leg or a hospital bill or something like that. Um, and, you know, I would say that building that up over time is a priority. We think people should get to at least six months of emergency emergency expenses. Six months of your normal budgetary expenses in a savings account is really important to have. But we think that initial amount is a first good goal to hit. It's very specific, but I think it's helpful. It sticks in your mind too. You're like, that's exactly how much I need. That's what I'm going for. Two, four, six, seven. Yeah. And so basically, Joel's talking about what we call our money gears, right? And so that that kind of basic emergency fund of $2,467, that's the very first thing you should be doing with, with your money before you start investing, before you start thinking about doing 
anything before else before you even pay off credit card debt. Exactly, and then and that'll that'll carry you through uh, gears two and three, which are getting like a company match when it comes to investing, paying down uh, high interest credit card debts, like gear number three. But then the fourth money gear, like what Joel said, that's the three to six months worth of living expenses, um, and just having a chunk of money sitting there to get you through some of the more major things. Like, you know, say for instance, you get laid off and you can't find work for a few months. That's the kind of money that's going to really need to come in handy when it right. comes to just ma- being able to pay them, you know, pay the mortgage or maintain rent, continuing to buy your expensive groceries that you like to purchase and, and cook uh, <laughs> yeah. there. A little. But whatever it is, yeah. uh, you know, realizing that, okay, I know I'm going to be okay. And that, gosh, it, it, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we all need more margin really, in our yeah. lives, right? Yeah, yeah. And so to be able to have that in the peace of mind, that that brings people, it keeps us from making stupid, uh, it just keeps us from making stupid decisions, right? All right, let's take a quick break to cancel subscriptions that we don't use anymore. Be right back. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Prodigy. One other service that I use but isn't actually sponsoring the show is Privacy.com. The cool thing about them is you can create credit cards with custom limits. So if I'm signing up for a gym or something, I can create a card with a set monthly limit. That way they can't overcharge me and I can cancel the card with a couple clicks. It also works with one-time payments if you're ordering somewhere that seems unreliable or anything like that. Also, I'll use this opportunity to suggest that you always use a credit card whenever you can. Not even just because of the rewards, it's because of the fraud protection. Okay, back to the show. God, my friend, uh, she just the other day, like she just sleep in the middle of the night and a car like r- ran off the road and hit her car. And I guess oh. since her car was, you know, worth less than the amount of money that was left on the loan, the car's paid off, but she only has $1,000 and she needs a new car. It's just like, shit, yeah. like that. Holy crap. I can't even, what a terrible yeah. thing that, it's a, um, it's a, it's a crappy situation to be in for sure. Yeah. So that was the, my next topic I want to bring up is, you know, buying a house. I mean, to me, that was a big thing. And I think I didn't really think about it in terms of investment. Although, I mean, if I just, I look back five years or six years and I'm like, if I had bought a house when I, when I moved to Atlanta, I'd be sitting on maybe like a hundred grand of equity from it. So in that case, it was a good investment. It would have been a good investment, but is buying a house really like a, as good an investment as people think it is? No, <laughs> it is not. I mean, it's felt like it recently. It, it, yeah. And that's the problem, right? Like you look back to the last few months, especially uh, given the market where, where things are, and it feels like, oh man, if I could go back in time, yes, I, I, I should have done that. But I mean, we've, it's we've like talked share be- song. Yeah. If I could turn back time. <laughs> we've talked before how, I mean, when it comes to if, like, when it, if, if you're looking at your primary residence, it is not a good investment versus, you know, as like compared to taking money and sticking it in the market. Um, and just based, I mean, you're talking about like the increase in value like you look at the amount that stocks have gone up since like the 60s uh and on average uh the stock market has gone up around 10 percent you look at home values and what they've gone up uh, in that same period of time and it's closer to four percent and so and that's just that's just one measure right like we're not even talking the value of stocks since the 60s have gone up 10 percent 10% 10% annually. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. right, right. Okay, gotcha. Annually, gotcha, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. And so same thing Same thing with homes. And so that doesn't even take into account uh, diversification, right? You know, like with a home, 
gosh, talk about putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Yeah. <laughs> like depending where you live, a major employer leaves that town oh or something. Gosh, yes. And it can devastate devastate home prices. Uh, yeah, I think it and and I think renting one of the problems is that we've made renting seem like it's throwing away money. And there is home ownership is a great can be a great thing. Matt and I own our own homes and we are glad we do. Um, but you buy a home not as an investment. You buy a home uh, for a sense of permanence, a sense of community. Uh, for personal reasons. For personal yeah. reasons. And we also believe that if you buy a home, you need to uh, plan on owning it for a minimum of seven years. And you know, in today's <laughs> market with how expensive homes have gotten, fortunately, interest rates are really low. So affordability still isn't ridiculous. Um, but we, yeah, we think you need to be willing to stay put for quite a long time um, if you're going to make that purchase. Yeah, I think my parents, uh, like their retirement is basically they just own a bunch of properties and um, over time have accrued them. And so like it just adds up. But, you know, I guess maybe if they had just taken that money and put it in the market, they could have done even better. Well, so there's a difference between buying a, a home to live in and buying investment property. Matt and I own investment properties. And so it's 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 just a completely different scenario. Uh, we love the idea of people buying investment properties, in, in particular of trying to buy like multifamily investment properties, yeah. live in one unit. That's what my parents and, always try to get me to do. They're like, why don't you buy a duplex? I'm like, I already own this house. Like, what do you want to get? Like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, if, if you're, it can be an incredible financial move uh, as you live in there for maybe a, a year or two, then rent out both sides and move on to an, another property. I mean, th- those are the kind of things that do, you know, everybody I know that's done that has been able to uh, provide a, a whole lot of financial security, a whole lot of monthly income of cash flow. Uh, so investment properties to me, are a very different thing because you assess them very differently than you're assessing a primary home. The primary home to live in, you're worried about the features that it has and the school district. And does it have a pool <laughs> or not? Yeah, I just like, didn't want you know? to have a landlord anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I recently just, like my mortgage went up like $400 a month and I was like, what the freak, what the hell? Like, and they were like, <laughs> oh, it's your, it's like Taxes. escrow account, like your escrow. Yep. So, and I was like, well, why would it go up that much? So then I guess I realized that like with Georgia, there's a homestead ex- uh, tax exemption thing. So uh, the previous homeowner, you know, had already signed up, but then it lapses. So I had to sign up and then it'll last the rest of my life. But so I did that. Now I'm trying to get them to like update my mortgage and whatever. So if you live in Georgia, don't forget to um, apply for your homestead exemption. Don't, and don't forget to appeal your property taxes uh, w- when you get them later this year if they are if, if if the county is overvaluing your home. Yeah, how do you do? Is is that what is there anything else I should know about? I mean, I didn't know about this one, but yeah, you should. Yeah, you'll get an estimate of what you know, essentially a tax bill, and they're saying this is this is what your your home is worth now according to the county. And if you believe that that is inaccurate, you have the ability to go in front of a board of your peers to appeal that tax rate. Um, and if if they you know budge at all on the amount of tax that's due, they will also lock that tax rate in for three years, oh, right, Matt? Like three free, years now? They call uh, it I believe freeze? so, yeah, here in Georgia. Yeah. Like, yeah, my house is not even that good. Come on. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, for real. I mean, yeah, essentially, like you're sitting, it's, you're, you're presenting your case, uh, right? And so you can show it with pictures. Uh, you can ba- essentially show them all the unflattering angles, all the things that are broken <laughs> at your okay. house. Be like, look, man, you can I know look that. on Zillow and find comps of similar homes that sold in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah it, but it's like, we know that the, all those comps, like those houses, uh, like that they're comparing it to like they're ones that have recently sold that are you know selling for top dollar 
uh, they've got everything fixed. Well, <laughs> and, I don't want to yeah. look at comps right now because, but uh, you know, because everything's. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I paid one ninety seven, and they just like valued it at like two forty or something. And I'm just like, after like a year and a half or two years, like that's a lot. Yep. I mean, that's that's a lot in the recent months for yeah. sure. So I definitely wanted to dispute that. After I recorded this episode with Joel and Matt, I got my property tax assessment notice, and the value had gone up to three hundred and five thousand dollars, up from one hundred ninety seven thousand two years ago. Something was definitely wrong, so I reviewed it with a friend and realized that they had marked my square footage wrong by a thousand feet. So I had to appeal, and I'm still dealing with that. An appraiser is about to come out next week. What a mess. Also, I know a lot of people who have been wanting to buy during the pandemic, but holding off because of the low inventory and high prices. So I'm having a realtor on for an episode in the next couple weeks to answer questions related to that. So stay tuned. If you do go the route of instead of, you know, investing in a home or diversifying and doing both, you, like what do you use to invest your money? Like I, I know Robinhood's a really big thing right now because it sort of made it easier for people to invest versus some of the more well-known companies. Yeah, well, there's a hierarchy, right? Like you want to make sure that you're starting uh, to invest in the right areas first. Because if you start with Robinhood, which is uh, just a taxable brokerage account, uh, that's, that's not what we'd recommend. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, Robinhood essentially it almost coaxes people into investing in individual stocks. There's nothing wrong with the platform itself, but people use it improperly. And I, th I think the platform does have an incentive to get people to do that too. So yeah, we, we don't mind some of the micro investing apps. We like M1 in particular, uh, because with M1, you, you can open up an IRA and invest inside of an IRA. And we think that's a, a much better way to start investing because there's tax preferred treatment inside of an IRA. For most people, though, um, their uh, work account is going to be, you know, whether it's a 401k or a 403b with a company match, that's going to be where they're going to want to start. And then a lot of people have this, they, they, they know that they have this account, they start to put money in there, but oftentimes they're not investing inside of that account. And so, yeah, we would say um, go through the, the prospectus that your company sends you or that, the, that your company you work for has hired. Um, sends you uh, about the funds that they use. And we would say, look for the funds with the lowest expense ratio. Typically, those are going to be target date retirement funds, or they're going to be index funds, such as like a total stock market index fund. And we like both of those choices. Either of those choices is great, but those fees will eat you alive over time and a lack of diversification can really hurt you. And so if you go with either like a total stock market index fund or a target date retirement fund, you're gonna be one, <laughs> eliminating those fees to a large extent, and two, you're gonna be well diversified and we think that's really important. And inside of a workplace retirement account, which is a great place because it's also gonna save you money on taxes. Yeah, and especially too, if your employer offers a match, right? Because if they're matching 50% or 100% of your contributions, like you are not going to get a return on your money like that anywhere else. I mean. A, like guaranteed money like that, like that's free money, should right? be the, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's great, uh, and so I mean that's another reason why you want to make sure you you hit that work sponsored uh, retirement plan first, right? Your four hundred one k. But then beyond that, then you can start to look at other tax advantage accounts as well, like a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Uh, and the benefit here is that you know those those dollars are either taxed uh, on the front end and so for instance with a Roth the contributions you make to a Roth are already taxed but then as you invest that money and as it grows it grows tax free and when it comes time to withdraw that money it's tax free uh, and then the opposite with a traditional IRA so it's money that isn't taxed yet so there's no income tax but then as that money grows within your account then on the back end you don't have to pay taxes on those gains at that point but both of those accounts a work sponsored account uh, and then individual retirement accounts uh, come 
before taxable brokerage accounts. And again, that's yeah, that's what Robinhood yeah, is. Yeah, those are the top two top two account priorities for sure when you're starting to invest. Cool. And then, um, how much money do you guys uh, make a year? I'm just kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> um, I was going to ask. Um, You'd be surprised at how much Matt makes. It's impressive. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I, I guess I have like just two more things to go over. One is, um, I guess, you know, crypto, I'm sure you guys talk about this a lot. You know, uh, God, I bought into Bitcoin when it was like 10,000. And then when it got up to like 15, I was like, I actually need the money now. And I, mean, I don't You're see like, this. I'm rich. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think this is going up anymore. Let me pay that mortgage off it, now. What is it now? It's like 50,000 or something. Like, do you yeah, think it's, it's, it's a little over 50. To invest in or just to think of it potentially as a useful, you know, like currency. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. So, right. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies are uh, very new relative to just other ways that you can invest your money. Uh, there's a lot of thought, right? How cr- cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, how it could be a store of value. It's something, it's an asset that you put your money in that's not going to depreciate over time. Uh, not unlike real gold. Like that's why people uh, put their money in gold. And there's also the possibility of cryptocurrencies being a literal currency, just a, a, a medium for exchange. And we're not really seeing that either. Uh, I mean, it feels yes, like it's y- getting more because I mean, it, that's true. Yeah. Like, for instance, Tesla, you know, it's like you can buy a Tesla now with your Bitcoin. Yeah. But why would you use your your Bitcoin to purchase a vehicle when you could just leave it invested and continue to see it go up? And so it's incredibly volatile right now. It doesn't make sense right now for it to be an actual currency. Um, and so it's something that, I mean, the technology behind it is really interesting. And I mean, I do think that we have a future full like, of crypto. To avoid you know, fees and stuff like that. Like maybe they are overseas and they're doing some freelance work for you and you keep it off the books, that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of ways I think to pay, pay people or send money cheaply these days. Um, so I don't know. I, I think basically when it comes down to it, it, it has a lot, of, there's a lot of potential with blockchain technology and potentially some crypto currency in particular, but which one's going to be the winner and, and which one is going to like, you know, we saw recently the surge in the price of Dogecoin, which was created as a oh, you joke. you say Doge? Because I've been saying Doge. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't I'm wrong. Know. No, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> but but yeah. that was kind of the thing that, that, that really freaks people out in the space. They're like, is this an actual, you know, meaningful place where I should be investing? Is this a new asset class that makes sense for my money or not? And I think, you know, that recent rise all the stuff happening there, it makes me think that maybe not yet. It's um, concerning, and, right? But Bitcoin, yeah. I mean, what did it, what was it start out as like a point, a nickel or is it like 0.05% of a dollar that uh, Bitcoin started out as? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's just really, it's just really, really hard to know. And I think the biggest thing most people need to know is one, you should be investing, you know, most of your money, not on moonshots, but into a well-diversified, you know, tax advantage retirement accounts. We think that any investing you do in something like cryptocurrency, which, you know, Matt owns some Bitcoin. I don't own any um, crypto as of yet, but we would say that should be held to 5% or less of your portfolio. And I think the problem is there are a lot of people investing money that they can't lose into cryptocurrency and they're not invested um, in almost any other meaningful way in the stock market or in you know real estate. And we would say those are two asset classes that are much easier to understand with a proven track record. And so it's not that you can't invest some, it's just that it should be like much further down on the priority list. Yeah, I, I always had this thought experiment. And I was like, I wonder if I was 
like restarted my life, but I kept all my memories. Like, what's the most amount of money I could accumulate, like with the four knowledge that I had? But it sucks because it's, of course, just buy all of Bitcoin right in the very beginning, buy a bunch of Bitcoin, <laughs> you know, and it's like, what, like 50,000 or 100,000 times uh, growth since then. But yeah, that's I mean, that's the problem, too. I mean, like I'm thinking through like, you know, like as we say it, Dogecoin or <laughs> whatever. Doggy coin. Doggy corn, uh, coin. But I mean, it's like it, was, it's, it started as a joke. And so like it's hard yeah. to want to invest in something that was started as a joke. <laughs> something that currently is like Elon Musk's favorite thing to continue. It's like this ongoing yeah. running joke. And, and it so, became worth more than like actual companies that have been around yes, for decades like yeah. Ford and, uh, and you know, Carvana. And Kimberly just, Clark. Yeah. It's seeing that you're like, there's just that 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 bears no basis in reality yeah and that yeah. um just makes me want to run away from the space although i think there's a lot of potential a lot of possibility but there's just like way just, too much talk you about gotta it. just have the right motives behind it right yeah. and so like like the other thing that makes me think of too is like gamestop like there's a group of people who decided to invest in something almost as a way to give like a giant middle finger to wall street right it was it was kind of like a, a collective you know they collectively threw their weight behind a couple companies like you know the amc as well yeah, I mean, it's smart, right? They saw a big sh uh, opportunity to short it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and what, like, there are opportunities there, and I think it'll continue to be debated as how ethical it is. Yeah. Well, don't hedge funds do it? Um, I mean, don't other companies do that same thing? Like, market manipulation is illegal. <laughs> but I guess there are just different uh, definitions when it comes to a group of non institutional investors. Uh, but either way, though, to inv invest your money in a way to essentially kind of like get back at the the larger corporations, you know, if you want to do it for fun and you don't mind losing out completely, sure, you can do what you want with your money, right? Like we all have the freedoms uh, and the options to do that. But if you're doing this because you're counting on this for your retirement, that is not a good way that we would recommend folks <laughs> well, to invest. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> why think, we're yeah. saying that like, sure, you, sure. Need be, <laughs> you need to be prepared to potentially lose all of that money because there's a chance you might. And again, that's why you, you keep that to at most 5% of your yeah. if, of your investment portfolio because if you lose 5% that's one thing if you lose 50% that's another yeah, I put my retirement fund into buying toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic to uh, resale. You're sitting pretty over there. <laughs> I hope you sold at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Because toilet paper prices oh, yeah. are actually going down right now. <laughs> <laughs> what type of stuff do you talk about on your show You know that people might be interested in? Or what, what would someone learn from listening to your show? Oh man, we hope if they would if they tune in that they'd learn something every episode. That's truly our goal is to to entertain and to inform. And so if you tune into How to Money, hopefully you'll learn uh, more than just some of the most basic first personal finance information. Uh, we try to go a level deeper, and we try to go to um, we try to discuss the behavioral element of personal finance quite frequently because we truly believe that you know there's a few things that you could learn, and if you abided by those you'd be good to go. Like, But th so much of the way we react when it comes to our finances is emotional, behavioral. And so we, we try to speak to that frequently as well. Uh, we try to interview people who have different perspectives than we do. Uh, we, we try to cover the headlines too. How do you interpret the stuff that is coming out in the financial news, which feels 
more and more sensational every day. We try to provide like a rational framework for thinking about, you know, what's happened that week in the world of world of finance. So it, yeah, we try to run the gamut with uh, with all that we do, including answering listener questions too. Um, but but hopefully, yeah, if it, you, you'll get a better take on how to handle your debt, where you know how to be saving more effectively, how to be cutting back on your expenses, how to be investing well for the future. We try to kind of run through all those things. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Prodigy. Definitely check out Joel and Matt's show, How to Money, on your favorite podcast app. You can find even more great info at howtomoney.com. If you're looking to save money, I highly recommend the Frugal subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash frugal. Another good subreddit is Poverty Finance. I just like Reddit in general, and there's a ton of great communities for whatever your interest is. I'm actually a moderator in the podcasting subreddit. And speaking of podcasting, I'm working on an episode about getting your own podcast started. So stay tuned for that and a bunch more really interesting stuff. Prodigy was created and produced by me, Lowell Berlanti. The executive producer is Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.